This is sort of a part of the sermon series that we've been doing. It's kind of a wrap-up and also gets us thinking about the Christmas season. Um, and so we're, this is part 13 of the series we've been doing called Fathered by God. Um, we're wrapping it up with this. Um, in recent weeks, we've talked about different seasons of life we may be in, when we're in the valley season, um, when we're on a mountaintop, life's good, or even just kind of those in-between times where we live most of our life. We're just kind of hiking that trail and just enduring how, how God is with us in every season of life and how we can be engaged with him in all those seasons. So this morning, as we wrap things up, I'm just titling this, Welcome to the Family. Welcome to the Family. And we're going to take a look at what it means that we get to be in the family of God as a result of Jesus coming to this earth and, and repairing that broken relationship that's there so we can be called sons and daughters of God. So we're going to talk about that together this morning. Um, so in preparation for this, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is the adoption experience that my wife and I went through when we adopted Micah into our family. And I, I just was reminded, you know those moments in time where it's like there's like an image almost kind of burned on your mind? Um, it's like you can see the picture. I've got one of the first night Micah came home to our house. And so after months of raising support and going through the legal process and two different trips to Ukraine, um, the second trip I went by myself. I got stuck there an extra week because there were medical complications um, getting Micah into the country. And so um, I'm exhausted. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm in Charlotte, get on the plane for the last flight into Nashville. We were living in the Nashville area at the time. And, and so, man, we're just like barely hanging on. He's wiped out. I'm wiped out. And so I remember getting to the airport and it was awesome because there's all these people there that were praying for us and excited. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, hey guys, thanks. I, I need to go to bed. <laughs> and so we walk in the door to the house and we're getting in the living room and I'm unpacking stuff. And it's like, how quickly can we just get in bed? And I look over and, you know, dads, you might be able to relate to this. Any dads in here just have your, your favorite spot, like in the living room or the bonus room, that like recliner that's yours, that chair that's your spot. I had this like big leather chair and ottoman that was just my go-to spot. And I look over and Micah's first moments in our house He's in my chair with his arms behind his head like this, and he's just like falling asleep. I mean, it was just the perfect picture of just, yep, yeah, this will work. This is my spot. He just immediately like made himself at home. And I, I, I've always remembered that moment. Like it kind of made me chuckle. Um, the arrogance of the kid, you know, to be in my spot. Um, but I just love that sense of him just knowing like, I belong here. I'm home. And, you know, I, it's hard to know what all was in his, his mind at the time. I mean, he didn't speak a lick of English, didn't understand English, but you could just see it in his demeanor on his face, like, I'm home. And I believe that's what God has for us. I think it's sad that often when we think of the church, we think of God, I, I would hope that our minds go to that kind of an image, that I belong in my father's house, that he has a place for me. There's peace there. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're just going to glimpse a couple of, a couple of people, a couple moments. Um, there's, there's a lot more to these individual stories that you can dig into on your own, but I'm hoping by just a couple of these glimpses, we will recognize 
that there is a spot for us in our Father's house and that we are welcomed and invited there. And so at the start of the Gospel of Matthew, as he's kind of kicking off the story of Jesus coming to earth, it starts out in what I always considered the most boring way. You know, when I was a kid and every now and then it was like time to do my Bible reading and stuff and you start the book of Matthew and it just starts with a list of all of these names. I don't know about you guys, I don't get super excited to read those genealogies. They're kind of boring, right? It's like, and then when I was a kid, we were reading like King James. Y'all know like the classic King James? So it's like, so-and-so begat, so-and-so who begat, so-and-so. And it's like, I don't even know what that word means. But it's just this list of names. Well, in this list of names, it's really a list of all of these stories of people who are in God's family. And so it's the legacy or the heritage of Jesus. And so Matthew opens up. I'm just going to read verse 1, I promise. You can read verses 1 through 16 if you want to read the whole genealogy later. But Matthew opens up his story of Jesus coming for us, and he says, This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he, he declares and he highlights these big, well-known names that are in the legacy of Jesus. And then he starts, and he just goes down the list from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is highlight a couple of them that should stand out to us. So there's four characters in particular we're going to look at. And what's interesting about these characters, first of all, is they're all women. Now, that might surprise us a little bit today, but it should dramatically surprise us if we were reading this when Matthew wrote it. Because when you're tracing somebody's genealogy, their bloodline, you were looking at the dads. And you'd read the list of names of the men. And yet in Jesus' story, there's four women placed in here. This was radical. And Jesus actually did that throughout his ministry. He, he elevated people. He elevated women. He elevated the outcast. He, he elevated people who had been considered by society to be at some lower level. And so right in the middle of the, the legacy of Jesus, there's these four women listed. And I have to tell you, not only is that kind of an amazing fact, but two of them weren't Jewish. Two of the people in Jesus' line actually broke the Jewish legacy. And so there were these outsiders that were in the line of Jesus, both in Rahab and in Ruth. Not only that, most of these ladies had incredibly scandalous backgrounds. They were, they were broken people who'd, who'd gone through um, and experienced brokenness because of others around them, and they'd gone through their own failures. And God says, this is the story of my family. The outsiders, the rejects, the marginalized, those who've blown it and made huge mistakes, those who've been victimized, they're in my family. I'm not ashamed to call them my family. And so briefly here, um, in verse 3, you'll see the name Tamar. I mean, this is a story that doesn't even feel like it should belong in the Bible. Go read Genesis 38, and you're going to think you're watching some, like, crazy episode on television somewhere. And so I'm going to be gentle and careful here, but at the, the basics of her story is that this gal, Tamar, she is discarded and treated unjustly by the three men in her life who shouldn't be taking the most care of her. 
She had a wicked husband. And then when he was out of the picture, her brother-in-law was supposed to be taking care of her and he refused to do his duty to provide for her. And so then ultimately her father-in-law, there was a whole system in place for her to be taken care of and provided for. Even her father-in-law rejected doing what he was supposed to do. And yet God sees her and he sees her story and he cared about her life in the midst of her being rejected and victimized and being treated like a doormat, God had a plan for her. And not only did he provide for her in her life in that moment, he put her into his story and gave her a legacy and a heritage. She's in the line of Jesus Christ, the King. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho, a city that was about to be judged by God. And God's people were coming in as they were taking possession of the promised land. And what does Rahab do? At great personal risk to herself and her household, she hosts and hides two of the spies of Israel and then redirects the people that were looking for them to capture and kill them. And she gets rescued out of Jericho, the only one, her and her household. They get rescued because she was willing to take a risk because she looked at the people of God and she said, that's the real God. I'm willing to give up and reject this old way of life, this old lifestyle, this culture that I've been in and turn to the true and living God. And I'm willing to risk everything, even potentially my life for this God. And because of that, Rahab is not only rescued out of Jericho, she's in the line of Christ. She's like the great-great-grandmother of King David. How cool is that? Fast forward just briefly in the same verse, verse 5, it mentions Ruth. We got to do a really cool study on Ruth maybe a couple years ago now. It's an unbelievable, beautiful picture of the love of God. But here's Ruth, another outsider, non-Jewish, who says, I am choosing to be in God's family. She looks at her mother-in-law and says, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And she, she chooses to be a part of God's family. And now she's in the line of Christ. And then several weeks ago, we looked at the tragic story of David and Bathsheba. And I won't unpack it all here. But if you remember that story, Bathsheba's life was marked by scandal and, and some of her own sin and the sins of others. And yet, God redeemed her life and King Solomon is born and Bathsheba is now in the line of Jesus after experiencing adultery and death in her family. God redeems, he rescues, he heals, he works miraculously. We should be able to look at these stories and find ourselves in here somewhere. We are invited in to his family. And so the the whole genealogy wraps up and we land at the very end. And who does Matthew point to as, as the real heir in the line of Jesus? His mom, Mary. It leads to it leads to Mary after all of this, the mother of Jesus, fulfilling the prophecy that through the seed of the woman, redemption would come, echoing all the way back to Eve. And so we see Mary's story. And so we're going to take just a couple minutes and look at some some cool things that come out of Mary's story. So as we've hit kind of these moments along the way here, looking at these ladies and their stories, 
Let's now look at Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, we go from the list of people to the moment in time where God shows up and sends his angel and says, hey, Mary, something miraculous is about to happen. And so you can read the whole passage on your own later, Luke chapter 1 and then into Luke chapter 2. But in in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, this angel shows up and visits Mary and begins to talk about her, talk to her about what God wants to do in her life. And so we're going to pick this up in verse 31. The angel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So this goes from, hey, virgin, Mary, you're going to have a baby, to let me tell you who this baby is. This baby is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Messiah that's been spoken of of old. He's the one that's going to sit on the throne of David. He's descended from the line of Abraham. That's going to happen to you in your life. Now listen, this sounds like this miraculous moment. Mary is a betrothed, not yet wed, young gal. And she's being told, you're about to show up pregnant and you're not married yet. This is scary stuff for her. And so she hears this whole story and this miracle that God wants to do in her life. And she recognizes the beauty of it and the challenge of it. And in the midst of all that, she simply says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Guys, being in the family of God is beautiful and wonderful and miraculous. And you know what? It costs something. It costs something. For Mary, it cost her her reputation in the town. We know this because people threw it out at Jesus later in his adult life as a derogatory remark. Oh, we know who your dad is. She was rejected by society, but she was willing to say yes to God. These other ladies, they all gave something up. Rahab gave up her way of life. Ruth left her people behind. They gave something up to be in God's family, and she says yes Now, she doesn't just stop there. When she says yes, we fast forward a little bit because she finds out that that her relative Elizabeth can't, can't have a baby, is now pregnant. The angel tells her about that. So she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, and they have this cool interaction. And when Mary walks in the room, the child that's John the Baptist in Elizabeth's belly leaps for joy when Mary enters the room. And the scripture says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So they just have this cool moment. These two unlikely moms now, moms-to-be, are celebrating together. And in the midst of this moment, Luke records this, this almost song that Mary sings, this declaration that she makes about the, the miracle and the faithfulness of God in her life. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Then Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. That doesn't just mean she's praising God. It means he's being highlighted. He's made to look big. It literally, it means magnify. Let's look deep at who he is and what he's done. And so her soul magnifies, highlights the Lord. 
And her spirit rejoices in God my Savior, she says. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So in the midst of the beauty of this moment, and in the midst of what it was going to cost her, she worships God. And she recognizes that God has looked on her personally, that he's intervening miraculously in her life today, and she worships. But she doesn't just stop in her own little personal moment and story. She goes beyond that. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She realizes I'm a part of a bigger story that God is telling. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. See, Mary reflects on God's blessing in her life, realizing something is happening here that she doesn't deserve. But she doesn't just stay there wrapped up in her own moment. She then kind of looks up and she goes, God, and look at the larger story you're telling. Look at your faithfulness to impact the lives of people from generation to generation. You meet needs. You perform miracles. The lowly and the discarded, you raise up. And she sees herself a part of a larger story and a bigger family. Mary recognizes that what, happening, that what is happening to her is beyond her. Her life ties into something larger. See, one of the beauties of, of recognizing we have a place in the family of God, it starts realizing that I get to be there. I get that seat in the comfy chair. But then it moves into that real life stuff of I'm a part of a family here. And, you know, I'd love to tell you, like, the story of our adoption process was just all, like, roses and smiling moments and beauty. And, man, it's been hard. It's hard when a new member comes into the family. It's hard for the rest of the family, and it's hard for the newbie. It's a challenge. But as, as Mary steps into this, she sees I'm a part of a larger story that God is telling. And he's up to something miraculous, and I get to be a part of it. I get to play a part in this. And because she says yes to him, and because she recognizes her place in the larger story and says, God, let it be to me according to your word, in light of all this, Jesus gets born into her life. And more people get included in the story. What happens the night that Jesus is born? I think we become so familiar with these stories, and they're just more like these cartoons that we've seen. You know, or we dress our kids up in their cute little costumes and they act it out. And we forget that there are these lonely shepherds living this nomadic life out there with the sheep. And heaven shows up and declares the miracle of the birth of Jesus. And these guys hear this heavenly declaration from these angels and they stop what they're doing out there in the night and they go looking for this baby. Moms, when you were in the hospital room where you had your children, 
Did like eight or 10 or 12 smelly strangers come running into your room celebrating with you and you just started passing your newborn baby around? No, like that would be completely bizarre, right? That's what these guys do. They show up and they celebrate. Luke 2, 16, they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They got invited into the story and then they went and told everybody else. Now, as, as crazy as this moment is, Actually, our, the community, we do this. The community shares newborns. Have you ever noticed this? It's one of the reasons why I think moms are nervous to go out in public when they have a first newborn. They're like, everybody wants to show up with their snotty noses and their unwashed hands and try to touch my baby. And so, like, you know, you, you stay in hiding for months if you can. You know, and then you finally dare to come to church and it's like, moms, any of you do the trick where you know, the blanket thing is like completely covering, like you're just trying to communicate as nicely as possible. Back off, <laughs> hands off. Why do we have to do that? Because people have no boundaries when a new baby shows up. It's like, I want to get in there. One of my favorite things to do is hold a newborn and just like, just smell their head. You know, that just newborn smell. I, it's just, there's just something cool about that. Like it just, mm, it's just the best. Like when somebody has a baby, we feel like we all share in that moment. In fact, we're so weird, we don't even just share in it when they're born. We act like a pregnant mom's belly is like an open invitation in the produce section at Kroger. Anybody, I'm getting an amen back there from Anna. Like total strangers will just walk up and think it's okay to start rubbing your belly. It's the, I can't imagine moms like what y'all go through. I watched my wife go through this many times. We have six kids, so I've seen this process unfold. Here's the deal. In, in the weirdness of all of that, there is something innate, God-given in us, where we recognize new birth means something for the whole community. And it's because every baby is ultimately an echo of the Christ child. We all need the birth of that child in our life. We all need and belong to that family. And so we have that deep need to connect and celebrate and say yes to him. And so the miracle that happens when we're a part of God's family is, is we say yes to him and get to be in the family. And then we recognize our place and our position in this larger family. And so what Jesus will do is he'll show up in our life and listen, follow me here. He gets birthed in us and it touches other people. We carry the Jesus that is in us now to others so they get to experience the life of Jesus and realize there is a family they are meant to belong to. This is what it means to be a part of his family. We're thrilled to be in it, we recognize our place in the whole family and we want others to join us because life in our dad's house is the best. It's the best life and it's where we belong. And so it's in this concept, context of, of family that we've been born into. I, I love this. The angels capture this when they first show up to the shepherds. Listen to what they say. This, this lead angel kind of steps out and speaks in Luke chapter 2 verse 
verse 10, and says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'm not telling you good news that's making Mary and Joseph happy tonight. I'm telling you good news that's for everyone. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The gift of Jesus is for everyone, and it's for me. See, that's, that's the beauty of what Mary was able to understand. She understood the personal impact of God showing up in her life. She was chosen, beloved, accepted, invited in. You are chosen, beloved, accepted, and invited in. He's been born unto you. And we're a part of a larger story that God is telling. We get to be a part of his family forever. And that hope and that life is for all. Man, that we would say yes to that. So what does this mean for us? I want to just wrap up with a couple quick thoughts here. What does this mean for us? It means that we're adopted into a family. And it means that we're now a part of a larger story. That the redemption that God is working in my life, he's also working in the lives around me. And I get to be a part of that story. Galatians chapter 4 verse, um, chapter four, verse 3 through 7 talks about this idea of what we've been brought into. So Paul writes and he says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. We were a part of a different broken family. And the way that family operated was destruction. We're used, we're abused, we use and abuse others, we live selfishly, we fight and we strive. That's what that family's like. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. God himself came in and chose to be a part of the human family so we can now become a part of his family forever. That's the story. And so he came under what we live under so that we might receive this adoption. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have a rich inheritance because of what Jesus has done. So in light of all this, I want to offer three possible takeaways this morning. The first is simply this. There's a place for you. There's a place for you. God's got a big comfy chair that you can climb into. And you can know, in spite of your faults and failures, your shortcomings, in spite of ways you've been used and abused and victimized, you belong in a beautiful family and you can have peace with God. You can know it. You can be assured of it. You have a place. That's what Tamar shows us and Rahab shows us and Bathsheba shows us. We have a place. Number two, you're a part of a larger family, so join in. Participate. 
think some of us have, have stepped into and experienced the richness of Jesus as our Savior, but maybe we haven't taken that next step into really engaging and participating in the family of God. That might mean being a part a little bit more, participating, doing life with the other parts of the body. It might be learning some stuff that we don't know. You know, one of the things that you see through the New Testament is some of these Gentiles who are brought into the family of God, they begin to be taught about why Jesus is so special. Messiah doesn't make sense to me if I don't understand that there are people who are waiting for thousands of years for a Messiah to show up. Now, I think some Christians have gotten off course, and this was even happening in the early church where we thought being adopted into God's family meant I got to do all this religious stuff that, that was rooted in Judaism. And so I'm not, I'm not promoting that, but I am promoting learning what it means to be in God's family. For some of us, we've, we've received God's redemption, and I don't know the larger story. And so I need to step in and go, God, I want to learn what it means to be a part of your family. What is this legacy that I'm in? Let me read the scripture and see the legacy of the family of God. Lord, let me participate in that family. Let me engage with others. And then finally, third thing I would encourage you to consider is to make room for Jesus to be born into your life so it can impact others. There's people outside of the family that need to know they're invited in. And you have something unique and special to offer. There's ways that God calls us to be purposeful, living in the community that we're in and sharing the, the life and the hope of Jesus with others. There are people desperate to be in the family of God, and they may not even know it yet. Something's missing. There's an ache. There's a hunger. And we have something we can share. So I, I would encourage you, do your own reflection. God, what does it mean for me to be in your family, to recognize I belong, to recognize I'm a part of a larger story you're telling? and to recognize that when I say yes to you, you want other people to experience being in your family too. How might you use me to touch the life of another? Amen? I pray that you know that you're in the family. If there's any doubt in your mind whether or not you have truly said yes to Jesus, received him into your life, been born again into the family of God. If there is any doubt in your mind about that, I'm going to hang out right up here after church, and I would love to talk with you. I'd love to make sure that you can know and be assured that you have peace with God and you're in his family. And for the rest of us, church family, as we move into the season celebrating Jesus come as a child, let's, let's have some personal conversation with God. God, what does it mean that this child has been born into my life. God, that you came here to earth and now I'm a part of your eternal family. What are you saying to me in this season? God, is there something you're inviting me into? All right? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a good and loving father. I thank you that, that your son, Jesus, that the two of you were like, hey, let's do something really crazy and really special. Let's redeem all of mankind. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, 
God, I don't even know that we could ever comprehend the sacrifice, Jesus, for you to give up heaven and all its glory and to come be a part of this human family. Father, I don't think we can even begin to grasp what it means that your perfect son came and died so that we could all become sons and daughters. But God, we may not understand it or grasp it, but we can sure say thank you for it. God, we can say yes to you. We can be like Mary and say, God, let, that, let it be unto me according to your word. God, I wanna be your son. We wanna be your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray more and more we would find our place in your family. God, growing in a relationship with you, seeing our part in this family and participating in it, learning about it. And God, sharing with others, inviting them into your kingdom and your family. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.